Now, I've spoken to you over these past weeks from 2 Corinthians 5.10. You don't have to turn to this. I'm not going to refer to it except in passing. Uh, uh, covering the judgment seat of Christ upon his own and the general character of that judgment. Good Christians and bad Christians shall be at that judgment seat. It's a very important thing to understand. It's difficult for the world to understand it, I can assure you, that there are good born-again Christians and bad born-again Christians. But sad to say, it is true. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we shall all Christians born again appear before the judgment seat of Christ to answer for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. So you are going to have two kind of Christians at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Some of them will have been taken home in judgment. In other words, some will have been taken home in God's condign judgment of death. And they will be there. God would not allow his sons or his daughters to go on in their sin. And so he took them out. The Lord's Supper is clear on that. Because we come to the Lord's table unworthily, some are weak, and some are sickly, sickly, and some sleep. Some have died. We're not to see how far we can go without suffering God's judgment upon us as sons. Hebrews tells us, 12th chapter, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son, not just some. Every son. So we're to understand that the chastening can be of two characters. It can be of a character that is to correct you. That's its divine purpose, is to correct you. God doesn't want to take you home and take you out of his family on earth. He'd rather have you stay here and bear a good testimony for him. But if his child becomes so disobedient, so indifferent to him, so indifferent to chastening, that he can do nothing with him. And if he is engaged in deep sin, it may be that God, in his love as a father's love, will have to take him out of this earth and take him home unto himself. So are there are those that are at the present moment have suffered death because of their disobedience to God. Let me make that very clear. I don't want anybody to have any doubts about this. God is not variable as men are variable. What God did in ages past, he still does. Don't you think he's changed? Some people would say, you know, oh, well, that's in the past. I would remind you that God never changes. His moral code is constant. 
It's not variable. We may decide something about premarital sex and marriage, and we may decide something about moralities, and we may decide that things are changing, but before God, there's absolutely no change. His moral code will always be the picture of his holiness and his righteousness, his divinity, and it will ever stand. It never will change. So, beloved, we are to understand that there are those Christians who have defied their father by their lives. They have lived as they pleased, and God has had to take some of them home in judgment, and they have suffered death, and there'll be some today who will die because God takes his child home and won't let him continue to go downhill, downhill, downhill to the grave. Now here it's well to discern between two different type people. There are those that have called themselves Christians, born again, who have long since seemed to have left the path of righteousness and have gone back into the world and are deeply engaged in sin and have done one more thing which we should remember very carefully they have denied that they ever believed in Jesus Christ they were never saved just remember that when it comes to the denial of Jesus Christ after you've claimed salvation you were never saved You don't deny the Holy Spirit that dwells in your breast. There's one thing you never lose once you're redeemed, and that is your glorious faith in Christ the Savior. You may sink down as low as a David, as low as a Peter, as low as a Paul, as low as an Abraham, as low as a Moses, murderers, adulterers, all of this, but they never forsook their faith in God, in Christ. They may have failed in many ways, but they were still the redeemed children of God. Once redeemed, always redeemed. Otherwise, the judgment seat of Christ is not understandable to anybody. How can there be bad Christians? If you would listen to some people, you'd think that all Christians are all pure and lovely and holy. I wish it were so. But I know the Word of God tells me it's not so. And the evidence in your own personal lives today, each one individually, looking into your life, you know, since you were saved, have you been sinless? Have you been perfect? Has your thought life, your deed life, been perfect before God? Well, of course not. Of course not. But there are those who sink very, very low. And as we look at them, beloved, remember there are those 
who have fallen into sin but have never forgotten that Christ is their Savior. And even though they're living in sin, they are the most unhappy, miserable, burdened people in the world because they are the sons of God and they're living in sin. And within them, though they never say it, they try to put on a happy demeanor, but inside... They're empty, and like David of old, he said, And all my bones did roar within me, and I was filled with dryness. There was drought within my breast until I confessed my sin and said to God, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. So there are Christians, beloved, who are living in such misery because of the sin in their life. Because they have fallen by the wayside. Because they have not given the Holy Spirit the place of power in their life. And they have first been purchased by God through Jesus' blood and they've been bought and purchased with a price and they're not their own. They've been bought with that price but they've taken back what they gave to God and they have placed the Holy Spirit in the minimal character in their their lives and he is grieved but he never leaves the temple. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is merely saying you may forsake me but I will never forsake you. So some sleep, some sleep. Some, as I said, will die today. I don't believe that a day passes that some Christian somewhere isn't dying because he's a born-again Christian. If I believe that God sees us and sees us well, he knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows you better than your neighbor. He knows you better than your wife or your husband. And as I've said, we're never to judge whether that Christian is suffering because of their falling away from Christ. We're never to do that. That is not our privilege. God says, don't you judge that you do not be judged. How can you judge? Said it is an impossibility. You cannot see the heart. And as I would remind you, the person, the only person in all the world that knows that God's chastening hand is falling upon them is the individual who is concerned. No one else. No one is ever to say you're being judged because you failed God. That is up to God to tell them and that is up to the individual to know. We're not to cast the judgment. Only the Lord does. So there are some who sleep. Some will have been cut off suddenly without any chance to correct their ways. Now, beloved, I want to press this home to you this morning. Some have been cut off suddenly There's a verse in the Old Testament that says that he that often hardeneth his neck shall be suddenly destroyed. And that's not referring especially to the redeemed, but it has good application. I would remind you that you can be cut off like that. Heart attacks happen to Christians. Well, I know. Accidents happen to Christians. You could leave here this morning and get in your car and 
It may be the last time I would ever see you. It may be the last time you will ever see me. There can be sudden cuttings off. No more opportunities. Just think for a minute. You're here this morning, you're listening to my voice. You still have that glorious opportunity as long as you have breath to come back to God and get your life straightened out. Ernie and I were talking in the study, I think so far this year, in New York there's been about 1,500 homicides, suicides, all kinds of things that happen. Accidents, 50,000 people a year die in automobile accidents. It could be a born-again Christian who's living far off from God. Things happen suddenly in life. Heart attacks come. Illnesses come. Accidents that we don't expect in any sense. Beloved, you have that opportunity. You're still breathing. I remember that psalmist. The psalmist says, While I have any being, I will praise the Lord. While I have any being left. Praise the Lord. You have that opportunity to come back before you face that greater size of God when every secret of every heart shall be revealed. For God says, I've appointed a day in which I shall judge the secrets. Boy, I put a big circle around that thing. I hope you did. You're all secret. No one in the world knows you but God. You're secret because your life is spent in imaginations and thoughts that no one else sees. Aren't you glad? What a terrible world this would be if all of the imaginations that have gone on in all of our minds over the years were suddenly flashed upon a screen and for all the world to see. We would shrink in horror. But God hath appointed a day in which he shall judge the secrets of all men's hearts by this one man, Christ Jesus. Every secret revealed Oh, listen, would you do this for me this morning? Have you got any secret sins that are lingering around? No one else knows about it but you. I don't care whether you're young or old. It doesn't make any difference. Have you got any secret sins that are, that are still around you? Something that nobody knows that you'd be so ashamed of if the church ever knew. Well, I want to tell you Jesus knows. You might be so ashamed if mother or dad knew. You might be so ashamed if your husband or your wife knew. Well, beloved, you're still breathing. Get it straightened out. Because that day is coming, beloved, when the secrets of all your heart shall be revealed. And I want to say this, one of the most blessed things that I can think of is this, that God does a wondrous thing for us who've been redeemed. He says, come to me with your secret sins and confess them to me and I will remember them no more. They're in the deepermost parts of the sea. I'll never bring your secret sins up against you if you confess them and you forsake them. At that judgment seat, I'll only bring up those things that you haven't confessed. You've blinded yourself. You actually don't want to look into your own heart. You refuse introspection. 
You're ashamed when you look inside and you see how your life has been lived and how little you've done for Jesus and it's all been self-centered, family-centered, social-centered. That's about all, but never Christ-centered. And that judgment seat, beloved, is going to reveal the secret of every single heart. Beloved, I don't want anything shouted from the housetops. I know that verse. And the only way you're going to stop it from being shouted that you retained your sins is by confessing them and forsaking them and getting rid of them and putting them under the blood of Jesus Christ and knowing what? He forgot them. Isn't that wonderful? To know that he's the one that's going to judge the secrets of all men's hearts. But he says, your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that tremendous? Don't you rejoice? Rejoice, beloved, and then confess them and get rid of them, whatever they may be. Because they're never secret to God. And somehow man is deluded by the fact that no one else but him and maybe someone else he's engaging in sin with knows about this thing. And all the time he forgot one thing. There are no secrets to God. No secrets to God. You can't hide a thing. So, beloved, there are those who will be suddenly cut off. And just remember that he that often hardeneth, he that hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. Some will have been caught up unexpectedly and unawares and unprepared, either not knowing of the second coming of Christ, having been in a church where they don't hear it. Incidentally, you're not saved because you believe Christ is coming again. You're saved because you are trusting in the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from sin. Let's never get confused on these issues. Huh? I see churches having tremendous problems about the second coming of Jesus. Now, I know what I believe with all my heart and what I preach about is coming, and I believe he's coming soon. As I look at the world scene around me, and I don't have to look at the Jews in Israel as much as I know that's the great sign. I don't have to look at Russia and know they're the powers of the Northern Confederacy and China, the kings of the East. I don't have to look at the problems that I see nations and Israel and all of the nations surrounding them all desiring to plunder them, to know that Ezekiel has put all this down in his glorious, glorious prophetic book. All I have to do is to look about what Jesus spoke about when he said in the last days there should be the confusion of nations and men's hearts should fail them for fear for the things they see coming upon the earth. And let me tell you, I'm not just thinking of the atomic bomb coming upon the earth. I'm thinking about every single thing that I see coming upon the earth where you can't walk the streets at night because you're afraid. Where you can't possibly even think of the children in school because of the problems that the schools face. Where local high schools that I know have as high as 78% on marijuana, I'm told by the district attorney. He says, where can I put them? I said, why don't you do something? 
He said, we haven't got enough jails and institutions to put them in. Where I called up and said, I know someone who is a pusher. Could you pick them up and have them say to me, if we did that, it would occupy all our time from the people who call us up and tell us we have someone who's a pusher. Would you pick them up? He said, what's more, we can't go into a home and then find they don't have it. Then we're charged. We may pick them up in a raid someplace, but we can't go individually and pick them up. These are the problems the world is facing. Unless Jesus comes, beloved, there's chaos coming more and more and more. The economic situation is upside down. The problems of life are tremendous. I sympathize with President Nixon. Who'd want to sit in the president's office and go through what he's going through, trying to find an answer for this problem and that problem, and knowing that no matter what happens, there will be criticism. It doesn't make any difference who's there. There's going to be criticism. Listen, the world is upside down, and we can see all the signs of Jesus coming. He should not come unexpectedly to us, but there are people who he's going to come unexpectedly to. And I'm afraid, and I dread saying it, but it can even be people at Franklin Avenue Baptist Church who hear me preach it and take it with a grain of salt because I would remind you that in Noah's day he preached about the great judgment coming upon the earth and they all heard it and the only ones got saved were who? His family. Why? They couldn't believe it. Didn't make a bit of difference. It still came. The carpenters who built, they didn't believe it. You think Noah was the only preacher? Of course not. There were preachers in that day. They weren't preaching it. And so the body of the people followed those preachers and the one preacher of righteousness said the judgment was coming and they didn't believe. And what does it say? And they were all destroyed in the flood. Beloved, I don't know how you take uh, the second coming of Jesus at Franklin Avenue. I just pray that as I preach it, as I teach it, you'll believe it with all your heart. For I would remind you that John has made it clear that every man that hath this hope that Jesus Christ is coming again purifieth himself, even as Jesus is pure. Now, I don't want it to be unexpected. Paul says, this thing should not happen to you like a thief in the night. You're not like those, he says, who slumber. You've been made alive. You know he's coming. Get your life straightened out. But there'll be those who are unprepared when he comes. It's an unexpected coming. You know, like you have people who come to dinner. Unexpected company. You don't know it, but they're on their way. The Lord Jesus is on his way now. And yet, beloved, there'll be those and only those who the Lord says will feast with me in my kingdom. That'll be the great thanksgiving. You see, the coming. We're going to feast with him in his kingdom. He says, I will not eat with you from the fruit of the vine until I eat with you in my Father's kingdom. That will be the great thanksgiving day when we're with Jesus Christ. But, beloved, to some 
it's going to be an unexpected coming. Some do not know he's coming. This is sad. Can I make this clear? If I were, if I were anybody in a church today, and I wish there was some way for me to tell them, <laughs> but if I were anywhere in a church today where the gospel of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is given to man in his blood was not preached and the second coming was never mentioned, I wouldn't stay for a minute. When I got saved, I didn't stay much for a minute in one church. I didn't know where to go. I won't mention the sectarian group. There are some of you here this morning that came out of that sectarian group. It wasn't Romanism, naturally, after I got saved out of Romanism. But I didn't go to a Baptist church. I didn't know. I thought all you have to do is pick a Protestant church. The Protestant church, you walk in, the Bible's open, the gospel is preached. Great. So I went to another church, I listened, I watched the people, and beloved, although I wasn't saved for a long time, I knew that there was something that I was not hearing in that church. And within four months, and the pastor knew there was something different about me because within four months' time, he had asked me, would I head up a Bible class? Here, I'm just saved. Would I head up visitation work? Would I do this? Would I do that? But in four months' time, I had to tell him, I just can't go on. I wrote a six-page letter. As I think of Luther now, I didn't pin it on the church door. Luther would be a little upset where I did pin it. But I had to say, I am not hearing the word of God. I am not seeing anybody come to Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I am not seeing the works of Martin Luther performed as Luther performed them. And I had to leave. And beloved, this is a necessary thing. If there are those in a church where this glorious good news of Jesus is not preached for your sake individually and for your children's sake, and beloved, I press this home. You come to hear the word of God not only for your own heart's sake, but the whole future of the church of Jesus Christ depends upon your children hearing the glorious news of Jesus' salvation and taking hold of it and continuing a church such as our own, that it may continue to proclaim the glorious riches of Christ and his salvation. So there are those, beloved, who will be unprepared. And there will be those who live carelessly. This is what Paul says, affirm constantly. I love that, constantly. He's telling the preachers, you better do this constantly because when Christ comes, if you want your people to be ready, tell them constantly. Affirm, he says, make positive. Don't let the people doubt. I don't think anybody that hears my voice will ever doubt where I stand for Jesus Christ. That I believe he's the Son of God. He's the divine Savior. 
His blood was shed for men's sins, that he died for me, that he arose again from the grave for my justification, and that he's coming again. He's the virgin-born Son of God. No one will ever have any doubt about that. I am to affirm that. And I am to affirm something constantly to the children of God. Affirm constantly, Titus 3.8, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Why, Father? Because at the judgment seat you'll be judged for what you did, good or bad. You're my sons. You'll be my sons for all eternity. And there'll be a judgment as to whether you've done good or bad. May I press that upon you? What can I do? I, at the judgment seat, I'm going to have to say to Jesus, I preached it with all my heart. Lord, there are two responsibilities. I know that. The prime responsibility you place upon the preacher. You've made that clear in all of the Word of God. That he proclaim and say constantly and affirm constantly the doctrines of Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe I've done that. But the other responsibility falls upon the hearers. I am in the one position, Lord, and if I did not preach it, then you would judge me deeply. But when I preach it, and people will not listen, then the responsibility falls upon every mother and father, every daughter, everyone in this congregation. The responsibility falls upon you. You have heard the word of God. And all I know is that at the judgment seat of Christ, all I can say to Jesus is, Lord, there may have been parts of my life you have to judge me for, but Lord, as to the preaching of the word of God, I affirmed and preached constantly that Jesus was Savior and that, that you should be very careful that you, they were your workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. And Lord, I preached it with all my heart. And beloved, I trust you. Listen. Be ye not hearers of the word only, but also doers of the word. To sit in a pew every Sunday in the church can be filled, and I praise God for it. But to sit in a pew every Sunday and to merely listen, and to think that by listening, this is making it commendable to God, no matter what your life is, is folly. I don't think God will ever ask anybody if you went to Franklin Avenue Baptist Church. You say, what did you do with Jesus? What kind of a life did he live through you? It was no longer you that lived. The Father speaks to his children. It was no longer you that lived, but Christ who lived in you. What did you allow him to do as he lived through your life? Was it all involved in the tinsel and the things that are just seen that are temporal? Or did you really get a view of the things unseen which are eternal? And did you, in love for Jesus, were your motivating powers all because it was his motivation? You did things not to be seen of men. Your giving was not to be seen of men. You gave because you loved Jesus. Your life as a Christian was not to receive the commendation of men, 
but the commendation of the Savior. It says in the scripture that if we receive the commendation of men, we have our reward, if that's all we're looking for. But if we're looking for that well done, thou good and faithful servant from Jesus, who will judge us all, then, then our lives should begin to shine for God. So some will have been caught unexpectedly. You see, Jesus will come and open the clouds of heaven and take his own unto himself. And then there'll be those, of course, who have lived carelessly and have not paid any attention to what I've had to say, have merely come on Sundays and listened and said, it's great to go to Franklin Avenue Baptist Church and uh, their reputation is spoken of and the word is preached there and I have people come to me and say, I took a trip out to so-and-so and I told them where I come from. I said, oh, Franklin Avenue Baptist. Well, let me say this, beloved. Old Franklin Avenue Baptist, it will be going down the drain too, remember. It's just a temporal thing that we see too. And a hundred years from now, I doubt this building, if Jesus tarries, will be here. So Franklin Avenue Baptist is not the thing. It's what you've done with Jesus. What you've done with Jesus. The person of Christ. Is the person of Christ dwelling in you through the Holy Spirit? Is it manifested to your wife? How do you, what's your attitude toward your wife? What's your attitude toward your husband? Is it the Christ in you loving? If it's yourself, you're going to have a lot of problems, arguments, disputations, misunderstandings, everything else. But when the love of Jesus is being shed abroad in your hearts, as Paul says, to a wife or to a husband or to the children... We better get to loving the kids like the kids should be loved. God help them. This is a hard age. This is a tough age. And while I may not agree with everything they do, I have to say that their, their thoughts on their parents sometimes and the world and the dollar economy and placing all value on temporal things, I can see the reasons, beloved, for much of the misunderstanding and the problems that have developed. But oh, that you and I as mothers and fathers may really be in love with them and really show forth that love and compassion like Christ was. Is it Christ in you as a father and as a mother ministering to your child? If you listen to some of the world today, you'd think that there are young folks who are untouchable. None are untouchable by Jesus Christ. I don't find Jesus going to the lovely. I don't find Jesus ministering to the rich. I find Jesus ministering to the unlovely, to the adulterous woman, to all kinds who are deep in sin, so much so that he was accused of going and eating with sinners. But he had but one divine purpose. No matter how far down they were, no matter how dirty they were, they needed him. And he was going to talk to them in love and compassion for Jesus Christ. Beloved, where do you stand this morning? Are you amongst those that might be taken unawares today? Christ comes. You say, oh, I planned on starting tomorrow, Lord. Lord, I, 
listen to past again, and I figured I'd better begin. Well, let's say this. He probably may not come today. I don't know. He could. But you could do one of two things. You could either say, well, it's too late for me. I've gone too far off the deep end in this thing, and I've gotten myself involved in too many things, and I love the world too much. It's, it's really, it, it's got me, and you could do nothing. Or you could say today, this is the beginning for me. Listen, if the true churches of Jesus Christ, those who are true believers now, who are members of the body of Christ, which is the church, the building is not the church, right? This is brick and stone, and it'll all die. But if the members of the body of Christ really allowed the Holy Spirit to take possession of them and to live like mothers and fathers and sons and daughters, like Jesus wants them to live, we'd see a transformation in this community. Because only 120 people in the days of the disciples turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And this morning there's 400 or more here this morning. And I don't think this whole area, Malvern, West Hempstead and all the rest thrown in. If the people of God really got the fire of God in their breasts and prayed with all fervency, came to prayer meeting, believed God and said you're going to do mighty things for us and we believe it because you're the greatest power in all the universe. You've given it to us. He dwells in our breast and by faith we want to express it. We're not going to be amongst those that you have to judge because we're so wicked. We know we've been bad. Lord, we want to have something good about us. Lord, we don't want to be caught unexpectedly when you come. Lord, we don't want to be amongst those who have denied your coming. We've heard it preached. We believe it. And you've said, if you have this hope in you, then you will be pure, even as Christ is pure. God needs a pure people to really live for him and to serve him. I don't care what your sin is. Just because we sit in pews does not mean that we have not gone to excesses in all kinds of sin. And I talk of the deepest and the vilest of things. I remember that in the church of Corinth, and I'll be speaking about some of the things, but in the church of Corinth, the vilest and most terrible sins were engaged in. In Romans, Paul speaks about them. And he says, these things shouldn't even be mentioned amongst Christians, but it's so. And so right in this congregation this morning, there could be those engaged in the deepest and the vilest of sins. Nobody knows but God. Get it cleaned up. Paul says, crucify it by the Holy Spirit. Put it to death. Believe it. God will do it. What kind of a God do you have? Is he mighty? Is he powerful? Is fornication, adultery, homosexuality, any of these beyond him? Nothing. Is beyond the strength of Christ. But only He can do it. You try it on your own, forget it. You'll never win. But let Christ take it over and He'll give you the victory. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors. How? Through him that loveth us.
Make your decision. Is your life going to be the same? I have to say this to me. I'm no different than you. Beloved, as God speaks, let him speak to you and to me together that we may really allow the fire of the Holy Spirit to purge out the old man and put on the new and walk, walk with Christ moment by moment by moment and not just on Sunday, an hour in church, but every single moment. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy precious Word. Bless it to our hearts this morning. Lord, we're mindful that Thy Word is clear in the many verses we mentioned this morning about a day of coming judgment and how You call people out of all their trials and their burdens and their sins your own children, you're calling them to get right with yourself. God, do a mighty work here this morning. I can't see their hearts, but would you look upon them, Lord? And would you speak to each one? And just quickly, every eye closed, every head bowed, and you just want to say, Lord, Lord, beginning now, I'm breathing, I'm alive. Lord, beginning now, I want to be that child of God that you want me to be. I'm young, I'm old, but I want to be that. Just put your hand up, say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, praise the Lord. Yes, praise God. Praise God. Yes, yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes, praise God. You really want to be different than you are now. You haven't attained. You have not attained. And you want to make sure Anyone else, quickly, put your hand up with all these. Yes, 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 yes. Praise the Lord. Yes, in the balcony. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, yes. My dear sister, mothers, dads, and young people putting their hands up. Yes, I see your hand. Lord bless you. Any others? Just put them up, Pastor. Pray for us. We really want to live for Jesus Christ. Make us the kind of Christians that truly show forth that we've been born into the family of God through Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Quickly, hand up. Hand up. Yes, Pastor, yes, yes. Praise the Lord. Pastor, pray for us. Anyone else? Quickly, quickly. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes, praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. 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 Many others, just as I close, you're not what you want to be. And there's so much more to go. Now, I don't know if the choir has had any raising of hands behind me. I haven't looked. But let's all bow our hearts together and pray. Father, now we do thank Thee for this blessed time. Lord, make it so real. Some may have thought, oh, I wouldn't like to raise my hand for Pastor Gian to see. Well, Lord, if they raised their hearts to you and said, me too, Lord, I'm not what I should be. 
I just was a little ashamed to put it up. But I want to be what you want me to be above everything else in life. Lord, will you touch each one? Those who raised hands and those who may have been too timid to do so. Father, we pray that our lives will be given over, completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.